0: This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Sometimes I like to begin my sermon with a joke. Uh, not often, but every now and then. I mean, we all like a good joke, don't we? And I understand that that's okay here. Yeah, yeah, okay, you're laughing already, I haven't even told a joke. Now, having said that, I hope I haven't built your expectations up too much, because I'm not about to tell you one now. Um, The trouble is, I couldn't find a good joke about encouragement, and that's what I'm preaching on this morning, encourage one another. Maybe it's just too serious a topic for jokes. But if you do happen to know a good joke about encouraging, let me know and I'll share it in some other sermon regardless of the topic. I I really hope now, seeing I'm talking on encouragement, that I haven't discouraged you by not having a joke to begin. Um, In fact, it's probably not that great a loss. Someone close to me who shall remain nameless but she's listened to hundreds of my sermons and given lots of constructive criticism over the years, which, let me say, I greatly appreciate. She reckons most of my jokes are pretty lame anyway, so you're probably not missing much. Those who do recommend starting with a joke say it helps establish rapport and connection with the the congregation, and that's a good thing, obviously. But instead of a joke this morning, I'm going to start with a Greek lesson. Now, you've already learnt some Greek over the last couple of years, at least some Greek alphabet letters. You know about Alpha and Delta and Omicron. And a few Greek words through recent sermons. Um, I preached a couple of weeks ago uh, and mentioned agape love as part of loving one another, and Last Sunday, I learned a new Greek word myself from Johnny, kline, uh, and that was helpful when he preached on serving one another. But I want to add another two words to your Greek vocab. Now, I'm aware that on the happiness scale and possibly on the rapport scale, uh, beginning with a Greek lesson is probably at the opposite end of the scale to telling a joke. But these two words are really important uh, to understand. So I'm going to start with those while you're still fresh and can take it in. Uh, It'll be a relatively short part of of the sermon this morning, so hang in there. Uh, Then I want to look at just one instance in the Bible where we're told to encourage one another. And I'll make a few comments on that. And that'll be a relatively short part of the sermon too. Then I want to give you an example of an encourager. Uh, And it's a biblical example. That will take a little bit longer. And the final section, which will take the longest part, is a practical exercise. So that's where we're headed. Let's get stuck into it so we can finish in time to do the National Church Life Survey. The first Greek word is one that many of you will probably know, ecclesia. That's up there on the screen. Uh, It's the word for church. It's where we get our English word ecclesiastical from, for example. And it's made up of two parts. The first part is ek, which means out, like in exit, you know, the place where you go out, like in exhale, when you breathe out um, or exhume, when a body's taken out of the grave. Uh, The second part is klesia, which uh, means called, So literally, Ecclesia means called out. The church is the called out people of God. We are the new Israel, called out of bondage. Not bondage in Egypt, obviously, but bondage to sin and the things of this world. We are called out of bondage to live in freedom as the children of God in the kingdom of God. The second Greek word there is the one for encouragement, which we're focusing on today, paraklesis. It's also made up of two parts. The first part is para, which means alongside, like in parallel, you know, two lines that run alongside, or in parachurch, uh, um, a religious organisation that ministers alongside the church, or in paramilitary, um, a... A, a military that is not the official paid military but is beside that. The second part of uh, paraclesis is para, uh, sorry, is klesis. Um, so the first part para, second part klesis. And that uh, second part looks very much like the second part in ecclesia, doesn't it? And that's because it does derive from the same Greek verb, which means called or to call. So literally, paraclesis means called alongside. In John's Gospel between Jesus washing the disciples' feet, which we heard about last Sunday, and teaching about the vine and the branches, which was the Sunday before, our Vision Sunday, Jesus tells his disciples that his time is almost up, that he'll soon be leaving them. But in an effort to encourage them, he says he will send the Holy Spirit to them instead. But in fact, he doesn't say the Holy Spirit, does he? He uses the word parakletos, that's the Greek word, the one called alongside. Now, different versions have translated that word differently, sometimes comforter, sometimes helper, counsellor. Advocate, which is a legal term, the person who comes alongside somebody in a legal situation. But paracletos there could also be translated encourager. The Holy Spirit comes as the encourager. Now, while the Holy Spirit is given to encourage us, among other things, we are also called to come alongside one another and to bring encouragement. Now, here's my point. Christians who make up the church are called out people, set free, redeemed through Christ's death. But we're not called out to individual isolation. It's not just an individual thing, our salvation. We're called into a community. We are part of God's family, along with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called out, but we're also called alongside one another. That's an immense privilege, but we also have mutual obligations to one another, and that includes paraklesis. Let's have a look at just one place in Scripture where we are specifically instructed to do that, and it's Hebrews 10:24 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, that word from Scripture is pretty clear and self-explanatory, really, but I do want to make just a few brief comments. Pastor Johnny has written another excellent Bible study on these verses and the preceding passage for the Connect Groups, So you can go a little bit deeper there than I can this morning. But we're told, first of all, to stir up one another. Did you know that the Bible tells us to be stirrers? There it is. Now, some of you are really good at that, in a good way. It has the idea of spurring on, of motivating or stimulating, and some versions actually translate it that way but some even translate it as encourage one another although it's not the Greek word paraclesis. it has that similar idea though note what we are to stir up not anger guilt or hostility or disillusionment or discouragement we're not to stir up a hornet's nest we are to spur one another on to love and good works and you all know what that means and what that entails. But just keep in mind, before you try to spur others on in that way, it's a good idea to be practising love and good works yourself first. We're also told here, and this is our focus, to encourage one another. I think grammatically, exegetically, practically, this links with the, the, the start of the sentence, we can encourage through love and good works and there are other ways which we'll look at in a moment through a biblical example of encouraging and the, verse, uh, the verses refer to this we can encourage people not to neglect meeting together the writer of Hebrews was saying that to Jewish Christians facing Roman persecution and wavering in their faith as a result now, we live in a completely different context, but there are still many pressures that might lead us to neglect meeting together. Uh, the obvious one that comes to mind, of course, is COVID, uh, which has meant that we've had to curtail our gatherings and still some need to do that. Now, I'm not sure what the writer of Hebrews would have thought about joining in virtually on Zoom. I guess it is still meeting together in a way but it's not quite the same, is it? And I'm sure even those of you watching on Zoom this morning would agree with that. Now we understand some of you are still cautious about large gatherings and the the health ramifications. I just wanna say though that when the time is right for you, we're really looking forward to welcoming you back and saying hello in person rather than through the lens of a camera. I've mentioned meeting together because it's here in the text and because of its importance. And I just want to repeat what I said earlier. We're called to be part of a redeemed community. The one and instructions that we've been looking at, love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, and there are more to come, they only make sense in the context of community. In fact, they are only possible to do when we are in community with others, with one another. These verses from Hebrews end with mention of the day drawing near. This refers, of course, to the day when Jesus comes again and the kingdom is fully consummated in, its, in all its magnificent glory. As we continue to meet together in the present, we are to be mindful of the eternal gathering that is coming. Even at its best, what we have here is just a foretaste of what is on the way. Let's look now at a biblical example of an encourager. And I want to do this to try and put some flesh on the concept of encouragement so that we can see what encouragement involves and how we can do it. I'm going to suggest some ways as we look at this encourager... Uh, that we can encourage one another. It's not the final word. There's lots of other ways we can encourage one another. But here are some pointers. The person I want to uh, want us to look at is Joseph. Now, not Mary's husband, a different Joseph. And we read about him first in Acts 4. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Joseph was such an encourager that his friends gave him the nickname Barnabas and that's usually what we call him too. It means son of encouragement. Now how's that for a nickname? One of the ways he encouraged and one of the ways we can encourage Is by giving generously. The story that appears straight after this in Acts 4 is a marked contrast. Ananias and Sapphira also sold a field and they also brought money to the Apostles but they tried to deceive them into thinking they were giving the whole proceeds but had kept back part for themselves. It wasn't worth it. They ended up paying For that with their lives. I always wonder how much they sold it for and and what percentage they kept back from themselves. Um, Maybe I've lived too long in Sydney where property prices are a source of endless fascination and discussion or maybe it's just my old accounting and economics training and background coming out. But what matters in this story is not the amounts but their deceptive ungenerous hearts. But Barnabas' heart was one of encouragement, and that's the difference between these two stories that are put together there in Acts. Giving generously encourages. Let me give you an example from NVBC. On my first Sunday here, Pastor Lewis mentioned that someone had donated 10 sponsorships to band camp. Now, that's generosity, on Friday, I was in the office when one of the Connect group leaders rang to say that their group also wanted to donate to the same cause. And they were asking if it was too late. It isn't too late. Do you think that the kids who go to BAM camp because of those sponsorships will be encouraged? I reckon. But not just them, what about their parents too? Probably couldn't afford to pay for them to attend. Lewis is encouraged. I'm encouraged. We're all encouraged, aren't we, by generosity like that? Give generously, either directly to people or to the church for its many ministries to people, because it's a great way to encourage. Barnabas appears next in Acts 9. After Paul's. Con- well, let me read it for you and then I'll make a few comments. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And it's talking about Paul. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So after Paul's conversion, he eventually went to Jerusalem and, as we read there, tried to join the band of disciples. But they were suspicious, they were afraid of him. After all, he'd been running around persecuting Christians. They weren't convinced that he was a true follower. Maybe he was just trying to infiltrate them and bring more persecution. But Barnabas stuck up for him, and Barnabas convinced the apostles... And we all know the amazing impact that Paul went on to have. So another way we can encourage someone is by believing in them, sticking up for them, giving them a go. Next look at what happens in Acts 11. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was on them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Because of the persecution, the Jewish Christians were scattered away from Jerusalem to more remote, safer locations. Some of them went up north to Antioch in Syria and they shared the gospel there with Gentiles. That was something new. Many of them became Christians. This new development um, raised some questions for many of the Jewish Christians who weren't at all sure about it. So the mother church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to check it all out. And this is what happened as recorded in the next verses in Acts 11. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. He exhorted them, that version says. The Greek word is the verb form of paraklesis. Some translations do, in fact, have encouraged. He encouraged them by affirming their conversions and cheering them on in their newfound faith. And that had a flow-on effect with many more becoming Christians. In fact, it was at Antioch where disciples were first given that name Christians we too can encourage by cheering people on in their faith Barnabas described here as full of the Holy Spirit and faith goes to Tarsus and he brings Paul back to Antioch and they teach there together for a whole year the Antioch church then decides to send them off as missionaries and they begin their first missionary journey to Asia Minor. They take John Mark with them, but, and this is important to note, he returns to Jerusalem fairly early on, and we aren't told why. Paul and Barnabas later return to Jerusalem too for an important church conference there about that issue I mentioned before, about non-Jews becoming Christians. Our last passage for today from Acts 15 tells us what happens next. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we, where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had later withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Our last passage tells us that Paul didn't want to take John Mark with them because he had quit on them last time. But Barnabas, as you might expect by now, wants to give him a second chance. Barnabas, in fact, felt so strongly about that that he split from Paul and teamed up with John Mark instead. And that's another thing that an encourager does. It's part of encouragement. Another way we can encourage someone is by supporting them, even though they may have failed in the past. Now, to conclude, a practical exercise, and I've given a lot of thought to this and how we might finish. I wondered at one stage about getting you to turn to the person next to you and saying something encouraging. But I decided that was a bit too awkward and artificial. You probably agree. Then I thought of giving you a bit of paper so that you could write an encouraging note to someone and give it to them or post it to them or a modern version, up-to-date version, getting out your mobile phone and sending someone an encouraging text right now. But if you didn't get a note... Or a text uh, you're not going to feel very encouraged are you? The problem with those initial ideas is that they take a few minutes maybe and it's done and then we all go to morning tea. The practical exercise I'm going to give you will take much longer than that. I said in the introduction this was the longest section. The exercise is to go from here and watch for opportunities to encourage others who need it. Not just today or this week, but for the rest of your life. Because that's what the Bible tells us to do, to encourage one another continually, no time limit, no buts. Do so in the the assurance that the paraclete will be right there with you, to encourage you and build you up, even as you encourage others and build them up.